Well, uh, Easter is coming, right? Just uh, a week from Sunday, we will celebrate Resurrection Sunday. And for us as Christians, that's a really big deal. This is like an epic day in the calendar. Easter Sunday is. But you know, for many of our friends, people that you know from school, high school, people that you know from your community, maybe some of your family members, for many of them, Easter is not a big deal. For them, Easter is just another long weekend. In fact, they would kind of wonder why you think it is a big deal, right? I remember a a friend who lives in Hespler Village. uh, She said to me one time, she said, I don't quite see how the death and resurrection of somebody 2,000 years ago has any relevance for my life today. I don't quite see how the death and resurrection of someone 2,000 years ago has any relevance for my life today. Well, what would you say if that was your friend and they asked you that question? Well, like, what relevance? Why does Easter really matter? It's a long time ago. Well, you know, there's a whole chapter in the Bible, in the New Testament, that's devoted to giving an answer to that question, to telling us why Easter really matters. And it gives us not only the historical evidence for Easter, it gives us the personal relevance of Easter. So it tells us that it happened, and then it tells us why it matters that it happens. And today what I want to do is to take you to that passage of Scripture and to show you one key reason among the number that it gives. I'm just going to focus on one. One key reason why Easter really matters. It's a reason you may not have thought a lot about yet. It may not be the one that's on the top of your list if you were to say, why does Easter really matter? But it's an important one. And it may be one that you could use not only for your own heart, but for your friend who might wonder, like, why is Easter such a big deal to you? So this morning, I want to talk to you about one reason why Easter really matters. And to do that, I want to invite you to go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Today, I want to talk to you about one reason for the relevance of Easter. Not just the evidence for Easter that will be mentioned, but the relevance of Easter. Why it matters. Why it matters for you. Why it matters for your friends. Why it matters for the world. Why it matters in Hespeler. Why it matters in Houston. Why it matters in Hanoi. Wherever you are in the world, why does Easter matter? Today we're going to see that in 1 Corinthians 15. Let me pray for us and then we'll look at our passage together. Father, I thank you that on this um, spring morning, we can look ahead to the celebration we'll have in just a few days where we'll commemorate the death of your son and then the resurrection of your son, our Lord. And we will rejoice and we will thank you that it's given us life, eternal life. Today I'm asking that you will also help us to get an answer for those around us who don't yet have the hope of Jesus on why Easter is such a big deal for them, why it could be. So use your word in our lives, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So 1 Corinthians 15 is like the resurrection chapter in the Bible, right? Uh, I think the word raised or resurrection, it shows up like 20 times in this one chapter. If 1 Corinthians 13 is the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 15 is the resurrection chapter. 
And Paul begins it, verses 1 through 11, by giving you the evidence for Easter, the evidence, the biblical and historical evidence. He goes through the fact in verse 3, Christ died for our sin according to the scriptures, that he was buried. And then he gives you the evidence, biblical and historical, for the resurrection. Verse 4, he was buried and that he was raised again in the third day in accordance with the scripture and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. So the first 11 verses, Paul's saying, look, it really happened. It really happened. There is scriptural evidence, prophetic evidence to look forward. There is historical evidence that corroborates it. It really happened. But then, starting with verse 12, He shifts and he says, now let me tell you what verse really matters. It not only really happened, it really matters. And beginning with verse 12, all the way through the end of the chapter, verse 58, Paul goes in through a number of reasons why Easter matters. I want to focus today just on the first one. And it shows up in verses 12 down through about verse 34. Paul's going to give you a reason why Easter really matters. And it's one you may not have thought a lot about yet. It's not one that typically makes the top of our list. If I would ask you, why does Easter really matter? You would probably say, well, it's because of Easter, what Jesus did on Good Friday and what he did on Easter Sunday, that I can be forgiven. And I'd say, you're right, that's huge. That's like the central part of the gospel. And you'd say, and because of that, I can have eternal life. I'd say, that's huge. But you know, there's other reasons why it really matters. Paul goes into one in verses 12 to 34. Here's how I would summarize it. Let me give it to you, and then let me show it to you, okay? Why does Easter really matter? Verses 12 to 34, Paul's going to say this. Easter really matters because it gives you a grand story to live by. Easter really matters because it gives you a grand story to live by. It gives you the best of all stories to live by. Easter really matters because it gives you this grand story to live your life by. You say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, let me show, let me show you. Look at verse 12. Verse 12, he calls out the Christians in Corinth and calls them out and says, hey, wait, 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 foul. This is not good. Look what he says in verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead... How can some of you, he's talking to the Christians here in Corinth, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? Okay, you see what he's saying? He said, now if Christ is raised from the dead, and he is, he just explained that in verses 1 to 11, he goes, what's with some of you in the church there saying there is no resurrection from the dead? You see, evidently the Christians in Corinth, at least some of them, They felt that Jesus was raised from the dead. He came back to life in a body. They they believed that, but they didn't think that that was going to be true for them or for anyone else. Like Jesus was the exception. He was the son of God, so he was raised from the dead. But they were saying, but for the rest of us, I don't think that's what's going to happen. So they believed in the resurrection of Jesus, but they didn't really think that applied to them. So Paul calls them out and goes, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. What are you thinking to say Jesus is raised from the dead, but there's no resurrection for the rest of us? He's telling them that they're living by the wrong story. The story that's playing in their head is not the right story anymore. You see, everybody lives by a story. You live by a story. I live by a story. Everyone does. Everyone has a story they live by. 
Sometimes we call that story a worldview. Sometimes we call it a meta-narrative. It's like a big story that makes sense of the world for us. We all have them. If you were here last Thursday when Dr. Van Hooser spoke to us, he used the word social imaginary. He talked about a social imaginary, a way that a society imagines life to be. Everyone has a story that they live by. Most of us don't analyze the story that we live by. In fact, we just inherit it. Most people get their story from just growing up in a culture. And from the youngest age, they're, just, they, they're taught things, they believe things, and they adopt a storyline that is the common storyline for the people around them. It happens around the world. We all live by the story. Your story, their story, another story, but we all have a story. You could look at it this way. The storyline is like the operating system of a computer. All your computers have an operating system. You don't typically think much about it. It's always running in the background, and it lets all the other programs run, right? The storyline you live by in your head is kind of in the background, but it makes sense of everything else in your world. Now, the, the, the Christians in Corinth had a storyline that they inherited from their culture which is typically the way all of us get our storyline. We grow up in some place, and there's certain ways you look at life, and that's what happened to them. But here's the deal. The storyline they inherited from their culture, these, these were mostly Greek people, Gentiles, the storyline said, there is no resurrection of the body. That's what, that was the common thinking. That was the storyline the people in their day lived by. Uh, there's a magisterial book by uh, N.T. Wright called The Resurrection of the Son of God. And he spends pages kind of explaining how in Greek culture of the day, the people grew up with this thinking. When you die, your soul is released from your body. They followed the lead of Homer and Plato. And they saw the body as kind of a shell. And you didn't want the shell. So the soul was immortal, but you would lose your body at death and good riddance to it. That was the common storyline of the day. So these Christians in the church had come into the church. They'd heard about Jesus. They heard he lived perfect life, that he was the son of God. He died and rose again, and they believed it. They said, that's true for him. But the storyline that they were living, that they had inherited from their culture, was still dominating their thinking. And Paul writes to them to say, wait, 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 wait. That's the old storyline Because of Easter, we got a new story to live by. You got to live by the new story. See, Easter really matters because it gives us a grand story to live by. And what Paul does next is he begins to call them out saying, now think about it, think about it. If you live by the old storyline, the one you got from your culture, that there's no resurrection, then everything falls apart. Your whole faith falls apart. Look what he says. Let me take you through the verses. Verse 13. We'll keep going through down through verse 19. Paul is confronting them, and he's saying the old storyline doesn't work for you anymore. Look at verse 13. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. See what he's saying there? Look, if you guys are saying there's no resurrection, then how can you believe Christ was raised? Verse 14. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. Like if Christ didn't come back, if he's not raised, then all that we're preaching to you, it's not true. In fact, verse 15 says, 
we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it's true that the dead are not raised. So he says, you know what? We're a bunch of liars then because we're going around telling people that Jesus was raised from the dead. And if he didn't raise from the dead, we're misrepresenting God. Look at verse 16. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, catch this, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. See what he's saying? If Jesus didn't come back from the grave, like this whole thing is a bunch of bunk. This faith that we're proclaiming, it's false. And by the way, your sins aren't forgiven. If Jesus didn't come back from the grave, right? And then look what he says in verse 19. If in Christ we have hope in this life only. Well, I, I skipped verse 18. Let me go back to that. Then, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Then all the people you knew and loved who died, they're just done. And then he says in verse 19, If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. People should feel sorry for us because we're living our life by a false story. See what he's saying? He's saying the story that you are, are living by, folks, it's the old story. It's the story of no resurrection. And yet that's still how you're living. In fact, he goes down and look at verse 32, halfway through verse 32. He says, if the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. He said, look, if there's no resurrection, if this life is all you get, then just party hardy. Just eat and drink for tomorrow you're going you're gonna to die. Now, that storyline that there's no resurrection, it was common in Paul's day. Do you think that storyline still is going on in our culture today? Yeah. Like, you know people, I know people who basically have that storyline, that this life is all you get, and you die, and you're done. I remember when we lived in Ottawa, we got to know our neighbors, kind of like a Love Hespler thing. We did our Love Street thing, and we would... We would have meals with them. We would have parties with them. And one night at a dinner party we had, we got talking about matters of faith. And most of my neighbors at that point had not come to know Jesus in any kind of personal way. And we got talking about what happens when you die. And one of the men who was getting up there in age, he said, well, I think that when you die, they put you in a box. They put you in the ground. End of story. See the storyline he was living by? Very similar to what they were living by. You're done. That storyline is prevalent in our day. For those who adopt an evolutionary model to explain life, that we just came from lower life forms, we're nothing special, we're not created by God, they would just largely say, well, look, you're just like another animal, and when you die like another animal, you're done. A couple of years ago, I read uh, the biography of Steve Jobs, Apple computer guy, uh, by Walter Isaacson. Fascinating story. At the end of Steve Jobs' life, he died of cancer in 2011. Near the end of his life, he was having a conversation with his biographer, and they got talking about death. And Steve Jobs said, I don't know what to think about death. And then he said this, maybe it's like an on and off switch on your computer click, and you're gone. And then he said this, maybe that's why I never like to put off and on switches on any Apple product. See what he was saying? Kind of thinking that when you die, click, 
you're gone. So Paul writes to these Christians and he's saying, wait, 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 you're living by the wrong story. There is a better story. Because of Easter, we have this grand story to live by. And then, starting with verse 20, going down through verse 26, he tells you the new storyline. This is the storyline that you can live by now that Jesus has been raised from the dead. Look at it. Look at verse 20. But if, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, and he has, right? If, in fact, this is true, if Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, for as by man came death, by man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in its own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he, Jesus, must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. So he, Paul says, listen, listen, this is the real storyline. This is the new one. You have to live by this one. Jesus is, he calls him the first fruits of the resurrection. You know what first fruits are? If you're from an agricultural background, you know, it's like the first, the first fruit that appears, maybe on the orchard tree, maybe in the field where the grain is. It's the first ones that ripen. He said, Jesus is that way. He's the first fruit, but he's not the last fruit. In fact, Jesus was raised, and when he comes back, all of us will be raised. We'll be getting bodies like his body. There will be a resurrection. And then he says, Jesus will reign until he puts all his enemies under his feet. I love verse 26. And the last enemy under his feet to be destroyed will be death. He will kill death. Now, hang with me for a moment as I kind of apply this. You see, under the old storyline, we die and death lives on. That's the old storyline. That's the, that's the storyline that most people live by. We die and death lives on. But under the new storyline, because of Easter, death dies and we live on. Do you see how that's a grand story? Do you see how that's a much better story? Because of Easter, you have this grand story to live by. You now have a way to look at life, a worldview, a meta-narrative that makes sense of everything in a way you never had before. And you have a message of hope because most of the people you know that don't yet know Jesus are living a storyline that does not satisfy them. Do you think people are satisfied with the notion that they're going to die, they're going to be put in a box, be put in the grave, and that's it? I think people go, that's a great story. I don't think they are. I think people struggle with that. It feels like somehow that can't be the real way it works. But that's all they got, right? They're thinking that when you die, click, you're done. But inside, something inside of them wants a better story. That's why if you listen carefully, what our culture does when we talk about death we sentimentalize it, and we come up with a hope. Even though we have no basis for that hope, we come up with this hope that maybe there's something more. Maybe there's something beyond the grave. That's what people in our culture do. Last week, I was reading a story online about the death of the owner of the senators, Ottawa senators, a guy named Eugene Melnick. And Melnick died uh, at a relatively young age, and a guy named Bruce Garriock, a writer for the Ottawa Sun, was writing a story about Melnick. And in the middle of his story, 
He says this, it's not hard to imagine Eugene Melnick sitting in a, in a, a nice lounger chair up there, sitting next to Brian Murray, his old general manager, and both of them looking down and watching the Sens play and thinking, shoot the puck, shoot the puck. Now, I think if you pressed Bruce Garriock, the writer, and said, Bruce, do you believe that? Do you believe Eugene Melnick is up somewhere in a chair watching the Sens on TV? He'd probably go, well, you know, not, maybe, maybe not. So why would you say that? It's because death is so grim, we all reach for some level of hope. We all say, you know, if they were a golfer, we'd say, well, they've gone to that great golf car course in the sky. Like, what's with that, right? It's not a satisfying storyline that our culture has. They don't have a better one to offer, but it's all they got. So they reach out for the sentimental view that maybe there's something more. But because of Easter, you have a storyline to live by that's solid, historically true, and personally relevant. And when that starts to work in your head, when you start to change your thinking and you think, you know what? I'm living by a new storyline. Jesus has come. Jesus died for my sin. He's forgiven me. He's been raised from the dead. And now because I belong to Jesus, I will be raised from the dead too. It changes things. It changes how you live. A handful of years ago, Linda and I were in Lebanon and we met with a number of Lebanese pastors, Syrian pastors and their spouses. And these folks are serving Jesus in a really tough part of the world. And one conversation my wife Linda had with one of the young women, she and her husband and their young family were, were in a su- part in southern Lebanon that is a really dangerous place to be. Like people get shot there. And she's there telling people about Jesus. They're having Bible studies where they're inviting neighbors to come in and hear about Jesus. And my wife Linda was talking to this young woman and she said, aren't you afraid for you and your family? I mean, this could take your life, right? And the lady looked right at Linda and said, Linda, we'll be with the Lord. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's our storyline we live by. In other words, we have to kind of live like they live. They live by a storyline that says, Jesus has been raised. I will be raised. Death cannot touch me. As Jesus says in John 11, he who dies will live even though he dies. That's the storyline we live by. And this young couple in the southern part of Lebanon was living by that story, and it gave them courage to step out and give you courage. It gives you courage, and it gives you comfort. And right after Easter, my mother is scheduled to have back surgery. My mom lives out on the West Coast. She's 87. Her heart is not great, and there's not, they're not sure if they can do this surgery, but she's in so much pain that they said, I think we're going to try. So she's in the, in the queue to have back surgery. I hope to fly out to be with her. And my mom has said this. She says, you know, if my heart doesn't hold up and I go into surgery and I don't make it through, I'll wake up and I'll be with the Lord. Now, I'll be honest with you. I'm not quite ready to let her go. But I'm so grateful that my mom is facing this 
with a security and a comfort that would not be there if she didn't have the storyline in her head that's the resurrection storyline, right? It gives us courage. It gives us comfort. And it gives us a reason to speak to people about Jesus. Remember I told you my friend down in Hespeler Village one time said to me, I'm having a hard time seeing how the death and resurrection of somebody 2,000 years ago has any relevance for my life today. And we can say, wait, 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 wait. Let me tell you something. It has huge relevance. It has huge relevance because it changes the whole storyline you live by. And when you change the storyline that you live by, when that's now rooted in Jesus and his resurrection, it changes your courage. It changes your comfort. You face death in a different way. You live life in a different way. It's a grand storyline to live by. And what I want to say to you, my brothers and sisters today, is this. Live by that story. It's true, but it's also for you. It's, there's evidence and there's relevance. Easter really matters. It gives you a grand storyline to live by. Live by that story. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the historical verity of the life and death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus. I thank you that we, we don't pin our hopes on just a philosophy or a bunch of presuppositions or a bunch of imaginations. We pin our hopes on the incarnated Son of God who lived, walked, breathed, died, and then lived again was raised to life. And because of his resurrection, Lord, we now shift the way we think and say, we have a resurrection coming. And I pray that you would help us to live by the true and new storyline that Jesus brought in, ushered in for us. And then, Lord, I pray you would give us courage and opportunities to speak to the people around us that got a crummy storyline that they're living by, one that dies and has no hope for living. May we this Easter have the chance to speak to them of hope and life in Christ. And I pray this in Jesus' resurrected name. Amen. Amen. God bless.